All right. I asked Pastor earlier if I were allowed to come down here because uh, I had thought about having you all just move up in your seats, uh, but I figured that that would not be very popular, uh, so I thought I would just come to you. Uh, yes, amen. All right. Uh, I thought tonight uh, what I would do is uh, do more of uh, teaching a lesson. Last week, obviously, Sunday morning, I got to preach, and I'm thankful for that opportunity. Uh, but I think that, uh, at least for me, maybe you're the same way, I think that I learn really well uh, when I can kind of interact with a passage and, and kind of think through it and work through it on my own. Uh, and so what I want to do tonight actually is, is a little bit of that. I, I would like for us to uh, interact with the passage. And when I say interact, I mean answer questions and think through things and, and give thoughts and whatnot. Um, because I could probably preach at you about something, but uh, I thought that this might be a better way for us to learn together. So uh, last year, I think into the new year a little bit, uh, the teens and I went through a study on the attributes of God. Uh, and I, I thought it was maybe one of the most helpful studies we've done yet. Um, we just called it Who is God? And we looked at many, many of his attributes. I think we looked at maybe somewhere between 18 to 24 attributes of God. Um, and I, I think it challenged and encouraged us. And I think it helped many of us get to know God better. We, we claim to be people who love God. Uh, but I think a lot of us, I shouldn't say a lot of us, I think a lot of Christians in our world today, don't actually know God that well, and I think that's a big problem. Uh, And so, just kind of as we start, I want us to kind of just think about why should we study the character of God? Uh, And I'm just going to go ahead and open it up and see what you think. What are some reasons that you think uh, we should study God's character? You can just leave that blank until, until we get to it. Okay, because he's God. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, we're supposed to be conformed in the image of his son. Absolutely, yes. I think that's a big one for sure. Uh, it's hard to know what God is doing when we don't know how, how he works or who he is. Uh, that's a good one, yes. Anything else? Yeah, Ms. Jerry. Yeah, I think that's a big one. Uh, there are a lot of times where we talk about Christianity being uh, a religion, and, or excuse me, a relationship and not a religion. Um, and... If it's going to be a relationship, then we probably need to work at getting to know the object of that relationship or the who behind that relationship uh, instead of just saying Christianity is a relationship and going about our merry way because sometimes that just lets us off the hook and we do whatever we want. But if we know God, really, it changes the way we live. Uh, any others? Okay, learning how to unconditionally love. I, I totally agree with that. Many of God's attributes... Uh, we call them communicable attributes, right? That is attributes that we can put on. Uh, and, and we're going to look at one of those tonight. Uh, let me give you a few reasons why I think we should study the character of God. Um, number one, we forget about God. Uh, I'm not going to have you turn there unless you'd like to, but in Deuteronomy chapter 8, I'm going to read a little passage here. Deuteronomy chapter 8, verses 11 through 18. Moses says, Beware that thou forget not the Lord thy God, in not keeping his commandments and his judgments and his statutes, which I command thee this day. Lest, when thou hast eaten and art full, and hast built goodly houses and dwelt therein, when thy herds and thy flocks multiply, and thy silver and thy gold is multiplied, and all that thou hast is multiplied, 
Then thine heart be lifted up, and thou forget the Lord thy God, which brought thee forth out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage, who led thee through that great and terrible wilderness, wherein we were, wherein were fiery serpents and scorpions and drought, where there was no water, who brought thee forth water out of the rock of flint, who fed thee in the wilderness with manna, which thy fathers knew not, that he might humble thee, and that he might prove thee to do thee good at thy latter end. And thou say in thine heart, My power and the might of mine hand hath gotten me this wealth. But thou shalt remember the Lord thy God, for it is he that giveth thee power to get wealth, that he may establish his covenant, which he sware unto thy fathers, as it is this day. We recognize, obviously, that when Moses is speaking, he's speaking specifically to the children of Israel. But these things apply to us so well today uh, as well. It's something, when we listen to it, we go, ooh, that kind of sounds like American Christianity. Uh, We've gotten all of these things to to ourselves. Uh, God has blessed us abundantly. Uh, if If we don't see that, if we live in a life of always wanting more and things like that, we have, we have gravely missed uh, what God is trying to, to show us, what he's trying to do in us. Uh, and so one of the first things, or one of the first reasons we should study the character of God is because we, we forget about him. We get distracted by temporal things. We become self-sufficient, self-reliant, and our dependence on God goes by the wayside. Uh, right now in the senior high, we're talking about uh, actually principles for stewardship, so it's kind of funny that pastor's about to do that as well, but... Um, in that, uh, we've talked so many times that money does not save us from spiritual problems. Money maybe can help us if we, if we use our resources well and, and balance them and budget and things like that. They might be able to keep us from getting into extra spiritual problems. Uh, but money in and of itself does not help us uh, with spiritual problems. Uh, only our dependence on the Lord does. The second reason uh, that we should uh, study God's character Uh, is because sometimes the Christian life loses its excitement and its appeal. Um, There are many, many seasons that we will go through life where we're just bogged down with busyness or things come up and surround us, and sometimes we just, we take our eyes off of what's going on. Um, I think a really good example of this is Peter taking his eyes off of Christ. Uh, He looked all around at his situations instead of at Christ, um, and, and that happens. Uh, to us as well. I think we could also maybe look at something like um, if, we, if we thought about a little boy who really, really wanted to have a puppy uh, and his parents, he, he, I mean, he begged his parents for what felt like years to him, which was probably eight weeks, right? Uh, but he begged them for all this time and they finally, they finally got him a puppy and then he found out that he has to take care of it and that he has to clean up its doo-doo and things like that, right? Right. Uh, he, be, he might become a little bit disillusioned with it. And sometimes the Christian life actually can be like that little puppy. Sometimes we're so gung-ho to become Christians, and then we become Christians, and it's like, well, here it is. I guess this is it, you know. Uh, and this is not it. This is just temporal. Uh, there will be something much greater that we have to look forward to. But sometimes in this life, the Christian life can lose its excitement and appeal. So what do we do? We look at the object of our faith, and he draws us back, uh, and we are re-energized. Number three, uh, when we don't know God, uh, we are tempted to make a God of our own creation. Uh, This is so, so prevalent today. Uh, But again, maybe just an illustration might help. I've never been to the Grand Canyon. Have any of you been to the Grand Canyon? Okay, good. Good number of you. 
uh, if I tried to describe the Grand Canyon having never been there, or maybe if you even told me what it was like, and then later I was talking to someone else about what the Grand Canyon was like, and it didn't match what you had seen, uh, you would be a little bit confused. Uh, And this very similar thing happens today. A lot of times we talk about how great God is and and how loving and kind and, and, and things like that. But sometimes we're saying things that we've heard and not things that we have experienced. Uh, there's, one, uh, there's one missionary, his name's Paul Washer. He calls Sunday mornings the hour of greatest idolatry uh, because there are so many people who come to church uh, and they claim to worship God, but they're really just worshiping a God that they've made up in their own head. Uh, and we can't get our idea for God from our religious ideas or what we think our idea for who God is comes from what he tells us or from who he tells us he is. Uh, finally, the last piece to why we should study the character of God, and then we'll, we'll move along. Uh, Daniel 11.32 tells us that the people that know their God shall be strong and do exploits. Uh, we could list many, many names of missionaries and people who have accomplished great things for God, and they are great things for God. Uh, but people don't accomplish great things for God from being attached to that life source, from knowing intimately who he is. Uh, Corey Tenboom helped many Jewish children escape the Nazis, and she's credited with coining the phrase that the safest place is in the center of God's will. Why could she say that? Because she knew that God was in control. She knew that no matter who came to her house, if it wasn't God's time for her to go, then they weren't going to touch her. Uh, and, and knowing things about God helps us so, so much. Uh, it's not just a merely academic exercise. If we know God truly, it changes our life. So, tonight we're going to talk about what one commentator refers to as the most terrifying truth in the whole world. And that truth is that God is good. Can anybody manage a guess as to why that might be the most terrifying truth in the whole world? Exactly. God is good, and the reason it's the most terrifying truth is that we're not. Uh, Now, if we've been saved, it's not the most terrifying truth to us anymore. But for the unsaved world, it is, a, it is a horrifying truth. And it should be a horrifying truth to us, understanding that the things that they're going to go through. So let me just give you a quick summary. This is kind of what we're going to talk about tonight. Uh, I gave this to you again on Sunday. Uh, but when we talk about God being good, this is what we mean. God is morally perfect and appropriately benevolent. He never makes a wrong decision, and he always gives what is deserved. And we'll talk through the pieces of that here in just a minute. One thing that I have the teens do very often, uh, and I'm going to actually have you do tonight, uh, is that I give them references to look up uh, and read for us uh, just to get them involved. So, by a raise of hands, who would like to look some references up? I have several up here. Everyone can take their ch- shot. Yes, Dan, can you get Matthew 5.48? We'll just go right down the list. Logan, 1 John 1.5. Pastor, can you do Romans 11.22? Miss Pat. 1 Chronicles 16.34. Kaylee, 2 Chronicles 5.13. Uh, Lawrence, sec, uh, excuse me, Psalm 106.1. Edward, Psalm 107.1. Anybody else? I have many more. <laughs> uh, Miss Karen, Psalm 118, verse 1. Chris, can you do Psalm 136, verse 1? That seems really repetitive, all those psalms with the first verse. Interesting, seems like a theme. Uh, Jamie, can you get Psalm 100, verse 5? And Brother Mike, can you do Jeremiah 33, 11? All right. 
So you go ahead to those passages, and I will, I will have you read those at the right time. I do not remember who uh, got all of those, so I'm just going to call the verse out, and you will need to remember it and, and go from there, all right? Hopefully this works out. We'll see. All right, so let's start uh, just by looking at a simple definition uh, of, of what it means that God is good. I kind of gave you that summary, and I, I told you what it means. Um, but if I were to say uh, God is good, what would be some ways that you might describe the word good? And I don't, I don't even necessarily need us to tie it to God at this point. Just if we say the word good, what things come to our mind? Excellent. Excellent? Okay. Holy. You can just say them, yes. Pleasant, yes, that's a big one. I definitely agree with that one. I have that one written down. Fair, yeah, that's a big one. Just, what's that? I hear one over here. Trustworthy, yes, absolutely. Anything else? Kind, yes, I think that's a big one as well. Uh, I, I was just thinking, trying to f- think of some uh, common definitions of good. Uh, some of them I looked up on Google and others I just came up with, but... Some common definitions I think of when I think of the word good is maybe something that's to be desired. Um, We could use that to refer to a lot of things. The food came to my mind first. Um, We might think of good as useful or advantageous. Uh, That would be a big one, right? Uh, That tool does good work or that contractor or something like that, right? Um, Virtuous is another one. Uh, We may express approval through, through the word good, right? We might say, okay, that sounds good. Uh, and so there's an, the idea of giving approval to it. It might be pleasing. I think Edward said pleasant, uh, pleasant and welcome. Maybe something simply that's just enjoyable. Uh, that might be another definition of, of good. When we talk about the goodness of God, though, we're not talking necessarily about good as we understand it today. Uh, I think I have two definitions up here. Uh, Wayne Grudem says, All that God is and does is worthy of approval. Uh, that is something that we're going to talk about as we get toward the end. Uh, But that little phrase, all, or that little word, all, is really important for us to keep in mind. Uh, Another definition here from MacArthur, God is the perfect sum, source, and standard for himself and and his creatures of that which is wholesome. He explains what wholesome is. Of that which is virtuous, beneficial, and beautiful. Uh, Both those definitions, I think, are really good definitions that do a little bit more justice to trying to understand what it means that God is good. I want us to focus on two key elements. I gave them to you in the summary. Uh, I want us to focus on two elements uh, of God being good. And the first one is that of moral perfection. Whoever has Matthew 5.48, can you go ahead and read that for me? Dan, yes. Be therefore perfect, even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. All right. Be perfect as your Father in heaven which is, excuse me, as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. This is Jesus speaking this, uh, and this comes within the Sermon of the Mount, or Sermon on the Mount, excuse me. Jesus refers to God the Father as morally perfect. Uh, and if you read the rest of this passage, moral perfection apparently is bound up uh, in loving enemies and consistency, uh, at least in this context. And I think something that's interesting to note, too. Um, actually, is it this one? No, it's not. It's not. We'll come back to that. We'll bring back the interesting thing to note later. All right, 1 John 1, 5. Who has that one, all right? I don't know, so you just go ahead and read it, yeah. This then is the message which we have heard of him and declared unto you that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. 
there is no darkness at all in him. Uh, God is only good. God is always good. Uh, And that is a concept that does not uh, get very much attention or popularity today. We might compare this to Jeremiah 17, 9. I think we actually pastor used this this morning where we saw that the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? In him is no darkness. In us, before our salvation, was only darkness. Uh, that is a, a massive transformation when we get saved. Uh, and it's, it's, I think when we think about Jesus Christ, it, it makes our lives look so pathetic. Even in, even in our most spiritually perfect days, we don't even come close uh, to how morally perfect Jesus Christ was. Right. It wasn't that he, you know, I, I don't even know how to put it into words. And I don't know that any of us really could perfectly. Uh, but there is no darkness in him at all. Uh, he is only light. We were only darkness. All right, moving on. Um, I didn't give this one out, actually. Let me, uh, let me look this one up very quickly because I'd like us to read this one. Uh, I'm going to read a passage from Mark 10. Uh, You're welcome to turn there if you'd like, or you're welcome to just sit and listen. Uh, Mark 10, I'm going to read verses 17 through 22. Uh, This is the rich young ruler. When he was gone forth in the way, there came one running and kneeled to him and asked him, Good master, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? And Jesus said unto him, Why callest thou me good? There is none good but one, that is, God. Thou knowest the commandments, do not commit adultery, do not kill, do not steal, do not bear false witness, defraud not, honor thy father and mother. And he answered and said unto him, Master, all these things I have observed from my youth. Then Jesus, beholding him, loved him and said unto him, One thing thou lackest, go thy way, way, sell whatsoever thou hast, and give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven. And come, take up the cross, and follow me. And he, the rich young ruler, was sad at that saying, and went away grieved, for he had many great possessions. I don't need us to look at the whole uh, story of this. I I would encourage you to do a study on it on your own sometime if you'd like. But in verse 18, Jesus says unto him, Why callest thou me good? There is none good but one, uh, and that is God. I think, again, this kind of paints that similar picture to there being no uh, darkness at all in him. Jesus recognizes not that, Jesus is not saying, there's only one and it's God, it's not me. Jesus is saying, you're equating me with God. Uh, and so for the, the, the rich young ruler to come and say that, he recognized who Jesus was. Uh, unfortunately, it didn't change him. He went away grieved because he had many great possessions. But uh, we understand, again, that in Jesus only is good, only is light. Uh, again, we might contrast this to Romans 17. I think this also was used this morning. Uh, But Paul says, For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. Uh, The rich young ruler came and said, You are good. You are the Christ. I understand that. Uh, But in us, there is no good thing. God is good. Uh, Romans 11.22. I do remember pastor has that one. All right, 
So I think, again, just kind of based on our modern understanding of, of our word good that we went through, it seems a little odd to put good and severity, goodness and severity together. Um, did anybody else notice that? Maybe? Yes? A few head nods. All right. The rest of them are sleeping. Okay. That's all right. Uh, God's word will accomplish what it is meant to. Uh, anyway, though, he puts goodness and severity together, and this is not something that Paul is saying for the first time. Uh, I have this one up here, I think, Exodus 34, 6, and 7. The Lord passed by before him and proclaimed the Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abundant in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. And notice this next part. And that will by no means clear the guilty, visiting or remembering the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and upon the children's children unto the third and to the fourth generation. Again, God is speaking this to Moses in reference to the Israelites. But we can be absolutely positive that God will not allow any evil. Uh, In this passage that we read in Romans of goodness and severity, these two things go together. Uh, because if God is to be morally perfect, he also must be rid of what is not perfect someday. Uh, and he will. Uh, so the principle is that when God deems that his goodness has been ultimately rejected, he is severe, or that is, he severs, he cuts off, uh, as he did uh, to the Jews. He says, on them which fell, severity, uh, but toward thee, goodness, uh, if, thou, uh, if thou continue in his goodness. So the principle that Paul gives us kind of feels a little bit like a, a paradox or, or something, two things that seem contradictory, um, but really if we're going to understand who God is, uh, then we really need to be able to hold on to both of them uh, and embrace the tension. There is tension. How can God be good and how can he be severe? Uh, those two things are things that we have to hold on to Uh, in order to fully understand him. And I'll tell you this right now. I would say that things like that represent what uh, the writer of Hebrews speaks about when he talks about spiritual meat. It's really tough to be able to understand how God can be loving and and wrath at the same time, how he can be um, good and severe. Uh, But when, when we stop trying to reconcile them and we start saying both of them can be true because God outdoes anything that we can think, uh, it, it changes, it, it's great, great help to us, and that's a, a big step of maturity. Uh, the other element of God being good that I want, to, want us to look at, and this, our last passage kind of moves us into that one a little bit, is that he is kind, compassionate, and merciful. All right, I gave out several more passages over here. Some of these are going to start getting very, very repetitive. We shouldn't miss the point. Uh, so we'll start with this first one at First Chronicles sixteen thirty four. Whoever has that one can go ahead and read it. Yes, Miss Pat, good. Give thanks to the Lord for He is good, and they go on to describe His mercy endures forever. That's what makes Him good. All right, Second Chronicles five thirteen. All right, again, uh, he is good for his mercy endureth forever. Psalm 106, verse 1. Praise you, Lord, and give thanks unto the Lord, 
I'm going to stop repeating it. I think it's getting obvious. Psalm 107, verse 1. Psalm 118, all right, Psalm 118, verse 1. All give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good, because his mercy endureth forever. Psalm 136, verse 1. All give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endureth forever. If you ever read through Psalm 136, you will see that phrase about 20 more times, maybe more. Uh, Psalm 100, verse 5. Uh, and then finally, Jeremiah thirty three eleven. For his mercy endureth forever, and of them that shall bring the sacrifice of praise into the house of the Lord. For I will cause to return the captivity of the land, and that the first. Okay, there should be pretty much now no doubt uh, that we understand what the goodness of God or what a key element of the goodness of God is wrapped up in. And what is that? It's his mercy, all right? Uh, When we read poetry, specifically Hebrew poetry, uh, I talked about this with the teens a long time ago, uh, but it builds often in what we call parallelism, where one line says something and the next line clarifies or builds on it. And so when they write, the Lord is good, his mercy endureth forever, they're explaining what his goodness is. His goodness is that his mercy endures forever. Uh, and all throughout scripture you can see this. Uh, Jonah says it as well. Uh, he says that he didn't want to go to the Ninevites because he knew who God was. He said, I knew you were long-suffering and gracious and compassionate. Why would I want to go to these people? Because I know what you're going to do. You're going to forgive them. Uh, it's that it's that dependable. The mercy of God is never-ending. It's, it's uh, permanent, and it is a key element of his goodness. Uh, there, I wanted to make note of one other passage. Matthew 5.45b illustrates this really well, I think. Um, it says, He maketh his sun to rise on the evil and on the good, and sendeth rain on the just and on the unjust. Uh, if we had only sun, or if we had only rain, we would be in a really tough spot. But God sees fit to send sun and rain. And it's not just that he sends sun and rain, but he sends sun and rain to those who love him, and I will add, who fail him often anyway, and those who totally reject him and want nothing to do with him. God's mercy, uh, especially in this time, is something that we should look at and be extremely grateful for. I mean, something that we should make a matter of thanking him in prayer regularly. Each day might be a good way to say it. Uh, Lamentation says his mercies are new every morning. Uh, I have no doubt that he was probably thinking when I come every morning to prayer, I thank God for his mercies. Uh, It's not something that's a vain repetition. Uh, It's something that if we mean it, there is great power uh, and it helps us recognize God is being merciful to me again. He's given me another day. Uh, he's given me another day to serve him. He's given me another day to enjoy time with my family, uh, to enjoy what of this world we are able to enjoy, uh, and, and to serve him and to live for him. So we can see the goodness of God clearly demonstrated and explained in Scripture. Uh, I think where we often hit snags with this attribute of God 
is that the goodness of God is regularly misunderstood. So what I'd like for us to do for these last uh, few minutes is look at some misconceptions or maybe some questions that come up when we're thinking about God being good. Uh, One misconception, uh, the first one that I'd like for us to talk about, is that God does good rather than that God is good. Uh, What does that mean? Yeah, Jamie? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Anybody else want to add to that? Or? The implication is he does good, but there's sometimes he doesn't. Yes, I, I agree. That's, that's the main piece of it that, that we're going after, uh, or that I'm going after with this thought. Uh, that often we think that God has these moments where he's so good to us, but last week, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> that's not, that is not at all how we are to think about God's goodness. When we think about God's goodness, He is always good. Everything that He does, um, everything that He does is an expression of His goodness. Um, There was one that I wanted to talk about, but I don't think it's in this section. I don't know. Oh, I know where it is. Okay, yes, we'll keep going. So the second misconception, or, or the question, or this one's a misconception, is the idea of modalism. Does anybody know what modalism is? Yeah, okay. I didn't know uh, very well either un- until a while back, but the idea of modalism is that uh, the, different, the different beings within the Trinity represent different attitudes or expressions of God. So, uh, for example, we might say that the father of the Old Testament was wrath. Uh, or we, and we might say that, this one's really popular today, but Jesus understands my struggle. He, he can resonate with me. He is the patient, loving one. And the Holy Spirit helps us to like run around the aisles and stuff like that, right? And there's like these different, these different ideas of, of uh, what the, the people of the, or what the beings of the, the Trinity do, uh, what the persons of the Trinity, rather, uh, and, and that's not true. Um, the Father is good. He's always been good. He'll always be good. Jesus is God. He has always been good. He'll always be good. Guess what? The Spirit has always been good, and He'll always, he'll always be good. Yes. Uh, the Father, Son, and Spirit, while they do have differing roles, uh, they are the same person. Uh, there's no difference between them. There's not the wrathful Father in the Old Testament and the loving Jesus and the Comforter in the New Testament. Those things are emphasized, and I understand that. That's a different conversation. Uh, but they're, they are all the same person. They are all the same in terms of their attributes. Uh, this is, therefore, this is a, a wrong uh, view of God. Uh, the, last, or the third one, I don't know if this is the last one. I think this isn't the last one. Uh, is the idea of Santa Claus theology. Has, has anybody ever heard of this? This comes from J.I. Packer. Uh, J.I. Packer has a wonderful, wonderful book called Knowing God. Uh, I, I saw on social media recently, somebody asked a question. They said, if you were going to recommend one book to anybody outside of the Bible, what would it be? And without even a second thought, this is the book I would recommend uh, because it, I just think it's incredibly powerful. It helps, it helps us make a little bit more sense of, of who God is. Uh, and you can read it for yourself. But the idea of Santa Claus theology, this is the idea that God is misrepresented. 
by simply just being indulgently benevolent, right? He's the old man with the red coat and the white beard who just gives toys to all the kids. Anybody can come to him. Uh, he's never, he never has a, a down moment, uh, and he's not going to give you coal either. Uh, and, and that is a crock of baloney, uh, to, to put it kindly. Um, let me, let me give us a few illustrations. Uh, a lot of times, people in, in culture today, all over, even Christians, when they go through difficult things, uh, they will ask the question, how can a loving God send people to hell? Uh, and that's a, that's a really tough question to answer sometimes. Um, but think about this with me f- for just a moment, all right? Uh, let's say that um, some, some vile man is arrested, Uh, and he goes to court. The lawyer presents a case in which there's no doubt. Everybody knows that dude is guilty. He's going in the clink or maybe on death row if he's in a certain state. Um, And then when the judge comes out, he rules not guilty, bangs the gavel, court, and the case is dismissed. We all look at that judge, and what might we say about him? We might say that he's what? We would say he's unjust. I would say he's corrupt. <laughs> uh, you can kind of just look around in our world and see a little bit of this today. It's not, you don't have to look too hard. Uh, but, but we would look at him and say, that's totally messed up. That's totally corrupt. Uh, so we might say, if that judge let a vile man go free, we would call him corrupt. But if God lets vile people go without punishment, we say, exactly. How in the world does that make any sense? It doesn't. It doesn't make sense. We want justice for people who wrong us, but though we have wronged God so, so much, we don't want justice for ourselves. That is, that is, that is a thought that it should be absolutely reprehensible to us. We shouldn't be even able to tolerate it. When we understand what we are deserving of, God is totally just. And by the way, he doesn't send people to hell. He says in John 3.17, I think, he doesn't come to condemn. People are condemned already. We've already chosen our way. He, in his goodness, has graciously and mercifully offered us a way to have eternal life. He doesn't send people to hell. Uh, number one, because he, he balances all of these many aspects. But number two, because we're not good. Uh, we might also think about this uh, in terms of pain or in, in trials that come up. Uh, another question that will be asked many times, uh, and it's a very difficult one, and I agree with, uh, or I agree that it's a very difficult one, is how can a good God allow bad things to happen to good people? Uh, and, and I think we just kind of need to, to unpack that. Let's not think about it from an emotional standpoint. Let's think about it from a, a biblical, logical standpoint. Uh, the first element is understanding what someone means when they say good God, uh, with what they say when they're talking about God being good. Because if they're thinking about good as in those definitions that we referred to earlier, that's not really who God is. That's a God of their own imagination, right? He's not just uh, useful or advantageous. He's not, pl- he, not everything he does is pleasing and welcome. Um, not everything is enjoyable. Uh, a lot of times we'll define good as what I think is good. 
Uh, and the reason that we have so much trouble in the world is everybody has different ideas of what is good. Uh, but that's why I think Christians can actually be such a powerful force uh, when we understand who God is because we are all uniting around a common definition of, of someone. We're all uniting around a common person. Um, and so we, we might think that uh, what good means to me means if, if God is good, he should give me prosperity, he should give me health, I should be confident, or I should be uh, just happy. Um, or we might think of God being good as in that he is pleasing. Maybe uh, we'll get a good grade on something, we'll get a raise at work. Um, maybe we'll have uh, a healthy child born, a successful surgery, a reliable car, any of those things. We all describe those things as good. But someone who is asking this question, how can a good God, uh, I lost my question, how can a good God allow bad things to happen to good people? We have to understand what they mean when they say that God is good. Uh, Because if they don't mean the biblical definition of God is good, uh, we're going to be fighting with them from square one because we have different definitions. Um, Another thing that's very important for us to understand when we think about that question Uh, is the idea of bad things. What qualifies a bad thing? That's a really tough question to answer. Um, Something that has been actually extremely enlightening for me is having uh, a a little girl. Um, There are things that are extremely unpleasant for her in the moment that I know are beneficial for her in the long run. Um, when, when uh, When she was born... Uh, when Madeline was born, uh, they said that she had a tongue tie, right? Uh, and, and apparently they have a procedure now that's very simple, and it's supposed to help. And they just clip it, and she's good to go. Um, and they could do that right in the hospital. It was a blessing. We had a, a wonderful health facility there at UK and whatnot. But uh, they took her across the hall, and they clipped her tongue, and she screamed. She screamed horribly. And Sarah and I, being new parents and sleep-deprived and very emotional... We were over on the other side bawling our eyes out uh, while she was on the other side screaming her lungs out. But, but I understand in my mind, Madeline, you have to go through this right now. You have to deal with this short-term pain because the long run is so beneficial for you. Uh, there are many, many uh, things that they said could come if we had allowed it to, to stay that way. Or maybe, I know this one's real touchy, so I'm not going to go into it too deep. But if, if your child gets shots or things like that, right? They don't like shots very well, uh, from what I've been told. Uh, so, uh, but those things are supposed to help protect them in the long run, right? Uh, and we can, we can think, we can understand that. Uh, another way that we might think of it, uh, if, if, not if, when we want to eat food that is just absolutely terrible for us, because it just looks really good, um, <laughs> Wouldn't be Baptists if we didn't, right? All right. Uh, I think that's like one of the letters of Baptist, actually. Is it? There's an F in there for food somewhere. But, um, but if we just ate junk food all the time, uh, we wouldn't live a very long life, right? And there are times where we have to tell ourselves no, or as Sarah and I get older and, and deal with Madeline and, and our other children, if the Lord blesses us that way, uh, we'll have to tell them, no, you can't have only Jolly Ranchers for, for dinner, right? Uh, and they probably won't like that. But again, in the long run, that's better for them. And so we don't look at every bad thing that happens and go, oh, well, it must be better for them in the long run. 
But if we know who God is, we can trust him and say, you know what? Abba, Father, Daddy, I I trust you. I don't know what this hard thing is going to bring in my life. It may be that I I never figure it out. But I know that you have a plan and I trust you. Uh, and that, that is so helpful for us, I, I think. Um, the last piece of that definition, and then we'll, we'll move on to application for tonight. Uh, we asked the question, um, how can a good God allow bad things to happen to good people? We've already talked about this. But are there any good people? No. There are no good people. Uh, I'm, not, I'm not good. You're not good. Anybody else in the world is not good. Uh, we are rebels at heart. Uh, Paul said in him dwells no good thing. Uh, Christ is light. He is only light and there is no darkness. We are only darkness until we've accepted him. Uh, and so we understand very, sim- very simply that there really are no good people. We, we've been opposed to God since our very birth. Uh, and so it's only by his mercy and, his, and our, excuse me, it's only by his mercy and grace that any even perceived good happens to us. Uh, he's just, he, he is benevolent. He is so good. And we can say that uh, and mean it in that way. But we also need to understand the other side of the coin, that he is morally perfect. Uh, so let's ask uh, a few final questions and, and we'll be done. Or one final question, rather. Uh, how does the character of God affect me? What is the application? Uh, I hope already that you can see application. There's a lot of understanding who God is that helps us to recognize uh, where we lack or what we need to change or things like that. Uh, but let's just deal with a, a few of these very quickly. The first part is that this character attribute of God is a communicable attribute. I already told you this means that we can, we can exemplify it uh, in a finite way. We can't be morally perfect, uh, but we should strive for moral perfection. Um, a lot of times, uh, rightly so, uh, people will try to encourage us to do right as Christians be- for the sake of being different or uh, things like that. But ultimately, we're to be perfect as God is perfect. Uh, that passage we read in Matthew 5.48, Be ye therefore perfect as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. We're to strive for moral perfection. Will we ever get there totally in this life? No. We will, be, we will fall gravely short, and I say gravely intentionally. Um, but we should strive for it. Uh, if we're, if we're going to say, I know God, uh, and I, I love Him, and I want to be conformed to the image of his son, we need to strive for moral perfection as Christ literally uh, was morally perfect. The second element is the kind, compassionate, and merciful. Uh, if we weren't to look at, at who God is uh, to say we should be kind, merciful, and compassionate, we're commanded to in Ephesians 4.32, a passage probably most of us memorized when we were children, uh, that we're to be uh, kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven us. Uh, this last one, this, this, this kind, compassionate, and merciful, um, I think is probably the one that we are not the best at. Uh, I think sometimes we can, we can have a really good spiritual day, uh, and maybe we, we were even close to being morally perfect that day. 
but then someone cuts us off, and the kindness, compassion, and mercy goes flying out the window, right? Uh, and I say that as, the, I, I struggle with that as well, so I'm not saying that as, it's all on you. Uh, the teens know that because uh, I've told them many times, and they've ridden with me. Uh, but we have, to work on, we have to work on being kind, compassionate, and merciful. That is an element of God's goodness, and it's a way that we can be like him. Uh, another way that we can apply this is that uh, we should appreciate the goodness of God. Uh, if we know God, you can go ahead to that next one. I think, Melanie, is it on there? Appreciate the goodness of God. Um, if we understand that every, everything that God does is an expression of his goodness, then we should start being really, really thankful for the little things in life. Uh, James 1.17 is a verse that I have turned to many times. The teens know that I turn to it all the time as well. But every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. It's not from below, from above. It cometh down from the Father of lights. Notice all these references to the goodness of God. With whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. Not even, not even a little piece of it. Uh, he is so faithful. He's so good. The, the perceived good things that happen to you, recognize that he's the one that gave them to you and thank him for them. Uh, and when the, per- when the perceived bad things come, that's when you rely on him. Uh, another one, appreciate the patience of God. Uh, when we recognize who we are, I, I know probably many of you think that when we sing those weird psalms in the morning about how messed up we are, that I just couldn't come up with a better song. Those, when we sing those psalms, that is very intentional. We have to understand who we are in light of who God is. Uh, we don't come to God, we don't come to worship or anything, bringing anything to the table. He says, you have, you're condemned. If you would like to receive me, you can. And I believe most of us, if not all of us in here tonight, probably are in that are in that position of having received him. But that should make us so much more appreciative of his patience because it's not only that he offered salvation to us, it's that we have it. Uh, And we will be fully saved one day. Uh, We we have been saved, we're being saved, we will be saved type of uh, thinking. Uh, And so when we have accepted that for ourselves, when we have uh, accepted Christ's vicarious sacrifice for me, uh, we should be all the more appreciative of the patience of God because he didn't send us right to hell when we were born, and that's what we deserved. Uh, I read a quote the other day. I, I don't remember who said it, but he said something to the effect of, uh, if God took from me my wife, my children, my health, my shelter, and sent me straight to hell, he would have done nothing wrong. Uh, that is the mindset we have to have, and it's not popular. Uh, you will not hear it in most churches that you go to. But that is the mindset that we have to have because that's what accurately represents God's goodness in relation to who we are. Uh, finally, I'm getting worked up. I love, I love, I, I love the attributes of God. I think it's a, a wonderful study. Uh, the last piece of this is recognize and believe that God is good rather than that he does good. We already kind of dealt with this a little bit. But everything that God does is an expression of his goodness. Uh, and we might not be able to make sense of that. Uh, there were terrible hurricanes in Florida uh, months ago. Uh, we've had tornadoes and flooding in Kentucky. Uh, Hamas is tearing up Israel, and Israel's fighting with them, and nobody knows whose side we should be on. And 
There's all this turmoil. All of that somehow is an expression of God's goodness, and I don't know how. But this is when we take it by faith and we say, God, I, I know that all that you are doing in the world right now is for our good. It's for your glory. It doesn't make sense to me, but I'm not God, and I trust you. Uh, and that is, that is a very appropriate attitude for us to have when we approach God. Uh, I hope that as we go uh, forward tonight that